Story number six of the Toys of Peace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. The Toys of Peace. Short stories by Saki. Louis. "'It would be jolly to spend Easter in Vienna this year,' said Strudwarden, "'and look up some of my old friends there. "'It's about the jolliest place I know of to be at for Easter. "'I thought we had made up our minds to spend Easter at Brighton,' "'interrupted Lena Strudwarden, with an air of aggrieved surprise. "'You mean that you had made up your mind that we should spend Easter there,' said her husband, we spent last Easter there, and Whitsuntide as well, and the year before that we were at Worthing, and Brighton again before that. I think it would be just as well to have a real change of scene while we are about it. The journey to Vienna would be very expensive, said Lena. You are not often concerned about economy, said Strudwarden, and in any case the trip to Vienna won't cost a bit more than the rather meaningless luncheon parties we usually give to quite meaningless acquaintances at Brighton. To escape from all that set would be a holiday in itself. Strudwarden spoke feelingly. Lena Strudwarden maintained an equally feeling silence on that particular subject. The set that she gathered round her at Brighton and other South Coast resorts was composed of individuals who might be dull and meaningless in themselves, but who understood the art of flattering Mrs. Strudwarden. She had no intention of foregoing their society and their homage, and flinging herself among unappreciative strangers in a foreign capital. "'You must go to Vienna alone, if you are bent on going,' she said. "'I couldn't leave Louis behind,' and a dog is always a fearful nuisance in a foreign hotel, besides all the fuss and separation of the quarantine restrictions when one comes back. Louis would die if he was parted from me for even a week. You don't know what that would mean to me. Lena stooped down and kissed the nose of the diminutive brown Pomeranian that lay, snug and irresponsive, beneath a shawl on her lap. Look here! said Strudwarden, this eternal Louis business is getting to be a ridiculous nuisance. Nothing can be done, no plans can be made, without some veto connected with that animal's whims or convenience being imposed. If you were a priest in attendance on some African fetish, you couldn't set up a more elaborate code of restrictions. I believe you'd ask the government to put off a general election if you thought it would interfere with Louis's comfort in any way. By way of answer to this tirade, Mrs. Strudwarden stooped down again and kissed the irresponsive brown nose. It was the action of a woman with a beautifully meek nature, who would, however, send the whole world to the stake sooner than yield an inch where she knew herself to be in the right. "'It isn't as if you were in the least bit fond of animals,' went on Strudwarden with growing irritation. "'When we are down at Kerryfield you won't stir a step to take the house-dogs out, even if they're dying for a run, 
and I don't think you've been in the stables twice in your life. You laugh at what you call the fuss that's being made over the extermination of plumage birds, and you are quite indignant with me if I interfere on behalf of an ill-treated, overdriven animal on the road, and yet you insist on everyone's plans being made subservient to the convenience of that stupid little morsel of fur and selfishness. "'You are prejudiced against my little Louis,' said Lena, with a world of tender regret in her voice. "'I've never had the chance of being anything else but prejudiced against him,' said Strudverden. "'I know what a jolly responsive companion a doggy can be, but I've never been allowed to put a finger near Louis. You say he snaps at anyone except you and your maid, and you snatched him away from old Lady Peterby the other day when she wanted to pet him for fear he would bury his teeth in her. All that I ever see of him is the tip of his unhealthy-looking little nose peeping out from his basket or from your muff, and I occasionally hear his wheezy little bark when you take him for a walk up and down the corridor. You can't expect one to get extravagantly fond of a dog of that sort. One might as well work up an affection for the cuckoo in a cuckoo clock. He loves me, said Lena, rising from the table, and bearing the shawl-swathed Louis in her arms. He loves only me, and perhaps that is why I love him so much in return. I don't care what you say against him, I am not going to be separated from him. If you insist on going to Vienna, you must go alone, as far as I am concerned. I think it would be much more sensible if you were to come to Brighton with Louis and me, but of course you must please yourself. "'You must get rid of that dog,' said Strudburden's sister, when Lena had left the room. "'It must be helped to some sudden and merciful end.' Lena is merely making use of it as an instrument for getting her own way on dozens of occasions when she would otherwise be obliged to yield gracefully to your wishes or to the general convenience. I am convinced that she doesn't care a brass button about the animal itself. When her friends are buzzing round her at Brighton or anywhere else, and the dog would be in the way, it has to spend whole days alone with the maid, but if you want Lena to go with you anywhere where she doesn't want to go, instantly she trots out the excuse that she couldn't be separated from her dog. Have you ever come into a room unobserved and heard Lena talking to her beloved pet? I never have. I believe she only fusses over it when there's someone present to notice her. I don't mind admitting, said Strudverden, that I've dwelt more than once lately on the possibility of some fatal accident putting an end to Louis's existence. It's not very easy, though, to arrange a fatality for a creature that spends most of its time in a muff or asleep in a toy kennel. I don't think poison would be any good. It's obviously horribly overfed, for I've seen Lena offer it dainties at table sometimes, but it never seems to eat them. "'Lena will be away at church on Wednesday morning,' said Elsie Strudverden reflectively. "'She can't take Louis with her there, and she is going on to the Dillings for lunch. "'That will give you several hours in which to carry out your purpose. "'The maid will be flirting with the chauffeur most of the time, "'and, anyhow, I can manage to keep her out of the way on some pretext or other.' 
"'That leaves the field clear,' said Strudwarden. "'But unfortunately my brain is equally a blank "'as far as any lethal project is concerned. "'The little beast is so monstrously inactive. "'I can't pretend that it leapt into the bath and drowned itself, "'or that it took on the butcher's mastiff in unequal combat and got chewed up. "'In what possible guise could death come to a confirmed basket-dweller?' It would be too suspicious if we invented a suffragette raid and pretended that they invaded Lena's boudoir and threw a brick at him. We should have to do a lot of other damage as well, which would be rather a nuisance, and the servants would think it odd that they had seen nothing of the invaders. "'I have an idea,' said Elsie. "'Get a box with an airtight lid and bore a small hole in it, just big enough to let in an india-rubber tube.' Pop Louis, kennel and all into the box, shut it down, and put the other end of the tube over the gas bracket. There you have a perfect lethal chamber. You can stand the kennel at the open window afterwards to get rid of the smell of the gas, and all that Lena will find when she comes home late in the afternoon will be a placidly defunct Louis. Novels have been written about women like you, said Strudverden, you have a perfectly criminal mind. Let's come and look for a box. Two minutes later the conspirators stood gazing guiltily at a stout square box connected with the gas bracket by a length of india-rubber tubing. Not a sound, said Elsie. He never stirred. It must have been quite painless. All the same, I feel rather horrid now it's done. The ghastly part has to come said Strudwarden, turning off the gas. We'll lift the lid slowly and let the gas out by degrees. Swing the door to and fro to send a draught through the room. Some minutes later, when the fumes had rushed off, he stooped down and lifted out the little kennel with its grim burden. Elsie gave an exclamation of terror. Louis sat at the door of his dwelling, head erect and ears pricked, as coldly and defiantly inert as when they had put him into his execution chamber. Strudwarden dropped the kennel with a jerk, and stared for a long moment at the miracle dog. Then he went into a peal of chattering laughter. It was certainly a wonderful imitation of a truculent-looking toy Pomeranian, and the apparatus that gave forth a wheezy bark when you pressed it had materially helped the imposition that Lena, and Lena's maid, had foisted on the household. For a woman who disliked animals, but liked getting her own way under a halo of unselfishness, Mrs. Strudverden had managed rather well. "'Louis is dead,' was the curt information that greeted Lena on her return from her luncheon party. "'Louis dead?' she exclaimed. "'Yes, he flew at the butcher-boy and bit him, "'and he bit me too when I tried to get him off, "'so I had to have him destroyed. "'You warned me that he snapped, "'but you didn't tell me that he was downright dangerous. "'I shall have to pay the boy something heavy by way of compensation, "'so you will have to go without those buckles "'that you wanted to have for Easter. "'Also I shall have to go to Vienna to consult Dr. Schroeder, "'who is a specialist on dog-bites,' and you will have to come too. 
I have sent what remains of Louis to Roland Ward to be stuffed. That will be my Easter gift to you instead of the buckles. For heaven's sake, Lena, weep if you really feel it so much. Anything would be better than standing there staring as if you thought I had lost my reason. Lena Strudverden did not weep, but her attempt at laughing was an unmistakable failure. End of Louis Recording by Graham Redmond